Vincent Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. The Two Enthusiast Podcast. The pumpkin spice latte of the two-wheeled world. <laughs> no. No, that's not true. Because we're delicious. No. Everyone wants a piece of it. Only, But that's only like for three months a year. Then everybody forgets about us. That's not good. Someone was trying to tell me it's it's maple and pecan is the new pumpkin spice. Oh yeah, and I and I didn't have a pole long enough to hit them with. <laughs> just like get out, <laughs> just get out, just stop with that nonsense. Uh, happy birthday! Thank you. Yeah, older, wiser. Took mm-hmm. another trip around the sun. Yeah, not and, uh, not exactly like too stoked about it. Uh, I have a little midlife crisis, questioning a lot of my life decisions, um, mostly about how I started a podcast with one of my good friends <laughs> and how that's been working out for me on a on a social level. <laughs> oh. uh, I'll tell you, Quentin, I don't have a stick big enough to beat off all these women that are coming after <laughs> this this podcasting goodness. They want you. Yeah, they want it. Oh, they want it bad. They're like, hmm, <laughs> check my levels for me, baby. <laughs> like, yeah, give me a sound check. Give me a mic check. I'm like, my name's not Mike. I'm not into that kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I mean, not since college at least. <laughs> Experimental days of Beeler. Uh, good times. Good times. Good times talking to you about motorcycles though. And that's what I want to do today. That's how I want to celebrate my birthday. Yeah. I'm going to turn fair. 35. You know, I, all I did today was talk motorcycles. Let's continue that. Sure. That's all I need. That's all I need in my life. Uh huh. I'll be fine alone, dying alone <laughs> with my cat. Alone. There's going to be more cats than that. It'll it'll progress. <laughs> yeah, that that's when you know just 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 light me on fire and call it done. <laughs> oh boy, let's just jump into it. I have in my notes Harley Davidson sales ship apocalypse. <laughs> the shit apocalypse. Shit apocalypse. And it's more than just Harley Davidson. It's industry wide. Seems to be. I don't. I think it's hyperbole to say it's it's shit apocalypse, but it's definitely. Um, not trending well. It's not good. So it's another quarter down. They're saying the motorcycle industry is down in the U.S. nine point two percent. Harley Davidson this quarter is down eight point one percent in the U.S. six point two. And this is down year to year. Year compared and to last year. Last this time, year last was year. down as well. well. Last year was pretty flat, but yet for Harley things were down. Yeah, but the industry is pretty flat. Okay. Um. And what we're seeing, and why this is kind of like a big deal. Now, first of all, understand that Harley Davidson accounts for one in two bikes sold in the what we call heavy weight category, so 500 cc's and up, which is a good chunk of the U.S. motorcycle market. Sure, and they're still they're selling like forty thousand per quarter still, right? Yeah, Something they're like doing that. under two hundred thousand a year in the U.S., but they're doing um, they're doing a bit. Yeah, about forty thousand per quarter. That's a fair number. That's what I, I when I was looking through some of the numbers that popped out of. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, and then looking at the revenues and all that, it's like, it's tough to complain. They're making money still. Well, that's the thing. Money's money's a little tight, but they're, and this is why, like, I kind of had to, like, think about how many bikes they're selling because it used to have that number on the tip of my tongue because it was so kind of reliable. Each year, it is a pretty marked change, whereas, like, before, I'd be like, oh, yeah, 250,000, 300,000. No, it's really not the case anymore. And because of that, that quick change... In the unit volume of sales over the last, I don't know, let's say 10 years, um, Harley-Davidson's really had to restructure its business operations. And we're seeing them close down plans. We're seeing them having to renegotiate with the unions. And I think we talked a, a couple shows ago about how they re- renegotiated their contract with yeah. the labor unions. And, yeah. I mean, there's all these pressures on this brand 
And they came out with some new bikes, and it's they, more of the same, and you know, right? It's not looking great, but who knows? And so that for me, that's just, this is like, well, where are we? Where are we in this industry? To was the cat around me or something? Oh. Sorry, I got a text from a lady friend. No, oh. <laughs> wow. So just putting the ass and distraction. All right, thing. all right, all right, all right. Happy birthday to <laughs> me. Well, that's good. Yeah, for sure. All right. So light the candles. Um, so for them, they're probably staring down, not a precipice, but definitely looking looking across a plane that they're about to kind of go down into and they don't know where they're, there's no, there's no high pinnacle peak coming anytime right. soon. Well, I think this, this ties into what we talked about in the last show when we talked a bit about how transportation is changing, how, and how kind of electrics are fitting into that. We went into a kind of a deep dive discussion on that. And I think this is this is a part of that. Motor, the motorcycle industry is changing. And this concept that the motorcycle industry will be the same as it was before the recession is really false. And I think that really the 2008, 2009-ish numbers were really a false high, if that makes sense, and conversely to like a false bottom. And now I think we've reached kind of like a more normalized point in the industry in terms of sales and we're watching the demographic of the motorcycle industry is changing obviously we've talked we talk about this a lot especially for harley davidson in terms of how its demographic is getting older baby boomers are not buying bikes or aren't going to be able to buy bikes anymore as they age out millennials aren't really buying bikes as they come in gen xers or pretty much anyone in their 30s just doesn't buy bikes period so we're in like this weird kind of thing and transportation's changing and the future of transportation is is uncertain. And I think this, truthfully, I think this show is going to be kind of a continuation of that conversation because there's been a couple things in the news that kind of are showing more of this, this point in time for the motorcycle industry where we're having to figure out that the old ways aren't going to carry over to the new times. And I think that's a big thing. And I think for Harley, that's going to be a huge challenge because it's such a brand kind of stuck in tradition and stuck in the past. And that's like literally down to like one of their core marketing principles and values. Heritage. Um, heritage. Isn't that one of their bikes is a heritage Springer Astro glide, something or other, right? You know, it's, it's tough, right? And you look at all the bikes and all like all the new bikes, all the new bikes are just new versions of old bikes. Yeah. Um, in terms of their aesthetic and like, yeah, they're better than they were before, I suppose. And the Mocky, the new Milwaukee motor is really good, supposedly. I haven't ridden it yet, so I, I can't say definitively, but I've heard good things. But unless you're into that whole heritage jam and, you know, it works for some people, it's not it's not sustainable. And I don't know how much longer that's going to be able to go on and as we as we go forward. But uh, right now it's hard times for Harley. And you know, it kind of makes you wonder where we're headed. I don't see it as, as all doom and gloom. I, I, I'm kind of a, I'm definitely a glass half full relative to most when it comes to this, like, oh, it'll, it'll correct to a point. We're never going to see what it was like in this, in the halcyon time of 2005. For me, I think five, six, seven, not eight, nine. I think from, I, I remember eight, nine was when it was starting to peter off pretty heavily, but five, six, seven was like, the fat of the land every dealership was just moving metal moving metal and it felt good and working on a race team where the the budget was heavy and people were coming to the races and yeah you didn't know what you had right we didn't know what we had it was just kind of a 
a, a progression up and up and up. And it had been for a really long time. I got into the industry in 2000, uh, sorry, 1997. So I watched it go from kind of doldrums in the mid nineties, but as Clinton got the economy boiling and things were good in the late nineties, it just kept clicking and clicking and clicking. Right. And that for me is what I've been living. Uh, so then watching it crash, it's like, all right, well, it'll correct and it's corrected, but it's never going to get back up to that. Not for a long, long, long time. But like you're saying, the, the really interesting thing is how is the, how is the world going to morph? How is technology going to morph to where the correction doesn't have a, and I mean, it's going to be really affected. Motorcycle is going to be very, very much affected by what we've got coming in transportation over the next 20 years. Yeah. I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. Um, looking at like going back to that big picture, like yeah, 20, 30 years, how are we moving around from point A to point B and what are we spending our money on for recreation? Let me, let me ask you a question that I asked a dealer the other day. And, and I think the answer is telling if you imagine what the next 10 years has for the motorcycle industry, do you see us selling more or less bikes than we do now? Same. I think in 2027, it's probably going to be the same. Just, just flatline for the next Yeah, that's my, that's my opinion. I don't think it's really going to, I don't see the demographic changing enough. I don't see the, the current generation of people that are going to be coming of age in that time with money, uh, making it, making the needle tick too much more than it is, but I don't see it falling off completely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it growing. I don't see it growing nope. like like a hockey stick. I kind of see it going down. I think the 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 safe answer is that it stays the same. I think the the kind of reach answer is that it it declines. And I I, I have yet to have anyone answer that question with sales are up. And that that's what worries me. No one really seems to have a positive outlook, but. You know, this could be like us just sitting in the fishbowl and you can only see yeah, what's sure. on the other side of the glass. Well, we are. We're all in a bubble right now where there's a lot of just ill feeling and discontent and that's like the opposite of hope right now, I think, in general. I think it comes from that that stock market crash feeling that, well, I don't really trust it. And a lot of people just don't trust it. I'm not as screwed. I don't care. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just bought a house. I'm I'm like, you know what? I'm going to weather the dragon back of ups and downs and hope that that dragon back goes up and that I'm on the uh, uh on on an upward trend of a stegosaurus back, you know? I I'm, I'm okay with that. Whereas a lot of people are just scared. And I think that's that's the thing is everybody feels very scared. They don't know whether we're about to encounter a nuclear holocaust or another another bubble's going to burst or the, you know, whatever. There's just a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty and I think people fail to realize that motorcycling in the US at least its core demographic was the demographic affected the most by the recession. So I just saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit 23,000 um, points for the first time. Yeah. And the stock market's just been a hockey stick for, for the last year or so. And, you know, that's great. And GDP is growing because of it. And there's all these things. But, like, none of that translates into real world goodness for kind of the the middle america motorcyclist i'm not really seeing the floodgates opening i think there's still a lot of people i think everybody's just cheap bastards and they don't they don't anybody that has the money is just going to keep their money and they're not putting it back into society in any perceptible manner 
And I don't think that that trickle down is going to happen in any way, shape or form. Well, the interesting thing is to see that sales are down in the U.S. while sales in Europe are, have now started to rebound. I'm starting to see things from Italy and Spain. I'm starting to see the U.K. sales rebounding and the U.S. seems to be lagging behind in that regard. So well, different call. Do you feel the different cultures? I mean, economies are, are different for that reason. We can't have the same economy here to Europe, to Asia, no, to whatever, right? but in the globalized world, the economies are very tied to each other. Like, the U.S. economy is rebounding, and the European economy is rebounding, but for some reason, and they're rebounding at roughly the same pace, but for some reason, motorcycle sales in Europe are rebounding, and motorcycle sales in the U.S. are falling off the deep end. And I think that has to come down to who is benefiting from the economies rebounding mm, mm-hmm. and who and what are those driving forces? So the the U.S. economy can be rebounding for corporations and for let's say the the top one percent or whatever. Sure. Um, not to wade too far into politics, but let's say it's it's not benefiting what I would classically call motorcycling's like blue collar demographic, yeah. which is like the meat and potatoes of yeah, the motorcycle industry for the past twenty thirty years. And you feel years. whatever whatever stuff is going on in the various European nations. It's entirely it's entirely possible for our economy to be booming, stimulate their economy, but their economy is a full. It's affecting everyone, whereas ours is affecting a select few, or it's affecting corporations or whatever it is. Yeah, economists will have a better idea, but it, it's interesting for me to see that the economies are rebounding at the same pace, but we're not seeing sales rebound at the same pace for you, for the two locations. Do you think marketing has anything to do with that? Different cultures, different marketing. Like, I, I feel that the motorcycle industry right now does a fucking awful job at marketing motorcycles. The motorcycle awful. industry does an amazing job of only marketing to current motorcyclists. We do a very poor job of indoctrinating new motorcyclists. And it was actually interesting today that I, I want to get to this a little bit later in the show, but I, I was uh, on the live stream for KTM's launch of its new electric enduro. And I had been going back and forth with KTM for a little while about trying to go see this thing in person. And part of the issue was that KTM North America didn't want to pay for the ticket. And KTM Austria didn't want to pay for the ticket. And it was all this stuff. And like they go on the live stream, they're like, hello, welcome all the all the press people of the motorcycle industry. Except for the Americans who had to watch this on a live stream because you're still in America right now. Like noting that like the American journalists, the American press weren't invited to this world launch. Huh. Things so they set up a special stream for us to watch. It wasn't a stream that pe- I could share and that people could watch with us. It was a stream set up for literally thirty people, you know, myself and my colleagues to watch, so we could get the information. And so just, you don't think anybody, not even from Cycle World or whatever, no unless they decided that it was worth their clicks or their time or their money to go spend the money to get there. There was no invitation. I only got it because I'm working on other projects. Yeah, um, or knew about it because I was working on other projects. So interesting, interesting that kind of like the American journalists get left out of that. Interesting that like when you see some of these launches and stuff that like it seems like the Europeans have it a little bit more together than the Americans do. Um, well, when you go to the website for that, you'll see uh, you can arrange a test ride and there are locations all over Europe that are E only dirt bike tracks and stuff and they have it. I think there's a system set up in Europe right now that favors these greatly. So I could see where they're like, well, we're only going to sell X amount of these in the U.S. anyway. So, well, so, yeah, some of this comes back to just the relationship between KTM and KTM North America, where KTM North America is notorious 
for not getting on board with new models, waiting for new bikes to be proven out in the European market, and then bringing them over here. Like they're just now starting to bring over the the electric KTM. Like this will be the first, or 2018 will be the first year of it arriving here. And this is a bike that's been selling since 2014 in Europe. They've sold 3,000 units of electric motorcycles. KTM is the largest seller of electric motorcycles right now because of it. And it's just now coming to the US, one of the largest, you know, yeah. dirt bike markets in dirt bike markets in the world. No, there's a lot one of, of the fear, most man. progressive. Sure. I mean, like, and I and I don't think that's I don't know what that issue is, but looking at how long it took for KTM North America to bring us the RC eight, looking at how long it took yeah. KTM to bring us the the adventure series, how long it takes them to bring us the six ninety Dukes, the the original Dukes. I mean, it's always like two, three years too late, and by then I'm already bored with the bike. And it's just like that's that's always been their jam, and I don't know what that is because they're focused more on the dirt side, understandably so. So that if they can win Supercross championships, they're gonna they're that's their bread and butter. It's easy. You path of least resistance, right? And I think that is the thing, and that and that's that would be like my criticism of a lot of the 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 subsidiary, the American subsidiaries, is that they always just seem kind of be path of least resistance. Um, Either that, or they're they're it's puppets of the of the the home office and the home office and and you you name the country doesn't get it well i think some of it comes down to dollars and cents like if we're going to sit here in one breath and say that the american market is in a decline and it's not doing well i don't think we can berate the american subsidiaries too much and be like oh well you didn't spend all this money and do this thing but there is sort of a chicken and egg that goes along with that all the brands kind of do this where it's like oh we're gonna have the international launch we'll invite five u.s publications and you go to like like Ducati's great for this because like you, they'll invite like five American publications and maybe like one Canadian one and then they'll invite fifteen Italian ones. You're know, like, sure. which market sells the most bikes for you again? Oh, is it the U.S.? Huh, weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't remember. Like their last domestic launch, I think, was the Diavel, like the original Diavel, and it was in San Diego. No, the X Diavel was in San Diego. What was the original Diavel? That was San. It was L.A. Yeah. yeah. That was. I remember because you were you were uh, called the stormtrooper when you I was went called there. Called stormtrooper. I don't. I look good. All white. Really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found the droids I was looking for. <laughs> but that was that was three press officers ago. That's how long ago that was. Uh, but in Ducati realm, that could be six months. Well, yeah, like four. <laughs> we're just kidding, Nathan. We're sure you'll have your job another month. Oh, he's good. Yeah. No, he seems to be good. I actually just watched. Uh, where he was racing uh, oh, yeah. at the, uh, what did they call that? The beach? Roland so- Sands. Well, it's the Roland Sands Super Hooligan National whatever. Whatever, but it was like the be- the beach something or other. Yeah. And it was a it was a flat track race on, which looked really well done. Yeah, and uh, our buddy Rennie, Rennie Skaysbrook was out there, and yeah. Adam Wahid yeah. was out there. So good, good motor After journalists. After seeing that, I was like, ah, all the cool kids went. You could see it was definitely a cool kids. That's why you and I were up yeah, here. Yeah, we're, we're just not picking cool our noses enough. up here. Right? Not we're cool not enough. cool kids at all. <laughs> yeah. oh, well. I knew it was happening, but it was just like, oh, well, that's probably not going to be a big deal. Well, it ended up being a pretty big deal. Cool. And our, our compatriot, uh, Andy Debrino, won uh, the Super Hooligan Championship. Yeah, local boy done good. Got himself a, an Indian... A uh, scout race bike out Which of it. Which is a $50,000 deal. Pretty sick. Super sick. Like, I really hope he takes the bike and doesn't take the I cash. Was, I was telling my partner that that's like, that's like a super Legera. It's, there's only so many bikes oh, that yeah. are, are like that, that it's a, a more very rare specific, than a super Legera. it's going to be more rare, but 
it's even I don't know. There's there's a lot to it. There's a lot to that bike, and it's really cool. And there's Andy taking it out almost immediately and fucking riding the shit out of it in somewhere. I didn't. I just saw videos of him like in dusk, just out riding around on dirt. It's awesome. I'm so stoked. I love the idea that somebody like that had the wherewithal to do the thing he did to get it, and then has it, and then goes out and actually uses it. It would be like. If somebody won a championship, some kid won a championship, got a super Legera, and the next day was out tracking it. Awesome. That's the way it should be. I just hope he puts some, uh, he goes down to the post office, gets some uh, forever stamps. Sends it. Puts it all over that bad boy <laughs> and just sends it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he brings it up. I assume he's going to bring it up here. So we got a super off tangent there. But the bottom line is the uh, from my standpoint, my view after having been in the Ducati realm for so long at a, at a fairly large manufacturer from Europe, um, seeing what Triumph done, seeing what KTM's done, seeing what BMW's done over the years, it's all just kind of like meh. Well, here's here's something to put in perspective, right? I've been doing this almost exactly nine years now. I have never been to a press launch for KTM. I have almost no contact with them. I have a little bit, but like all my contact is mostly out of Austria. I think I get more support from Austria KTM than I do North America KTM. After being here nine years, I have never been to a Triumph event. I've had no contact with that company whatsoever other than like, hey, you sent me the press release, thanks. Um, Never done anything with Husqvarna. Well, now that Becafee's a Triumph, hopefully that'll change. Yeah, he and I talked I'm, about it. But I, mean, like, that, I was not, like literally my like complaint. Like, I'm so glad your so our friend John Beckafee is moving from Alta over to Triumph. Um, but that was one of the things I told him. I was like, I'm so glad you're moving in a way, because like this is a company that like like nine years in business, like I there's to me no excuse after being nine years in business and achieving the level of readership and importance in the industry that we have. I'm not gonna try and like like toot my own horn, but I think tootin'. asphalt and rubber is you're a big toot. We're 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 at least like we're in the mix, right? Yeah, enough to where you should have been at one, two, three over the years. You should have some sort of context for who's working there and be able to get the press releases and all that stuff. Just sure. like, just yeah, just it, like it's the marketing. Basics. It's marketing one hundred class, right? I, you know, like they should be reaching out to like the guy that's got a blog with like fifty people on it, even like like why yeah. wouldn't you? Uh, and then select like the blog with like half a million plus but don't you feel that that's part and parcel of the of of being run by an entity that i mean it's a wholly owned subsidiary i assume just like ducati is and you've got this weird wall that's over the atlantic for these people it's almost like whatever it is this wall in the middle of the atlantic that gives them this weird myopia where they can't see the forest for the trees of the united states market I think there's a little bit but like i use that as like a of a like a yardstick of just like how good of a job you're doing like oh so your brand has like literally no contact with one of the more important publications in your space, like zero contact, like none. Like I've never been to a press launch. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. Sure. Like I don't want to like brag and say I'm the best thing in the world, but by definition, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, sure. So something's got to change there. So like if that's like the level of kind of like effed upness that, that we're dealing with, like what else is what else is being missed? What else is being missed on a finance level? What else is being missed on a marketing level? What else is being missed on a product level? Because you're ba- you're fucking up at like one of the more basic and obvious points in your business and like i think different brands achieve it at certain at different levels i've never been to a kawasaki launch i think that's insane uh our death match was probably the first time i've ever like gotten a bike from kawasaki or done anything with them yeah now some of that that's a more complicated relationship and i don't really want to get into it but there was definitely some stuff that happened between kawasaki and i in early years so i understand that 
on the flip side, I'm about to go down to Santa Barbara and go see what I assume is a new Honda Goldwing because Honda's said the American market is one of the most important places for this bike. Yeah. And we want to give American press hands-on opportunity to go see it and that there will be people that we can talk to about it. And I think, you know, that's the sign of like, okay, so here's a subsidiary that's that's doing something right. Well, are, aren't a lot of these, though, uh, relationship building things from you being in it? And it does take a long time in this, in this good old boy network of, frankly, so many old white dude, knuckle dragon, just kind of do-do-do-do-do-do. It's, it's been like this for 20 years. I've been watching it the whole time. Some of it is, and it always like, and some of it is like the churn where it's like, someone's been at a company for 60 months and they leave or five months and they leave. And so there's just kind of like always a revolving door of personnel or so like, Oh, I, I used to have a contact at Suzuki and then they left and, and then nobody Suzuki had to didn't hire anyone for nine months. And then they finally did. And then things started happening and we went to and a then, launch. And, and da, at da, da, that da, da, time da. when they hired him, that person didn't have a list. All you need is a shoot on a whiteboard, the list of publications, right? That's like, it's I I can just imagine. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done the job, but I I hear this type of shit, and I'm like, I, that is unbelievable that there wouldn't be a better system for people like this. There is an OEM whose name I won't mention that invited a journalist to a press launch that was dead. Yeah, that's how outdated their list was. The publication no longer existed. That journalist was no longer alive. They invited him to a launch and wonder why they didn't show up. Yeah, and you're like, huh. It's an interesting thing. Uh, some brands get it and some brands don't. And I think sometimes the sales speak for themselves uh let's switch gears the next thing i wanted to talk about just really briefly was an interesting note that the fim is going to come out with its own helmet testing standard nice for race helmets that are in fim homologated series so that could be it could be trials it could be MotoGP. it could be uh, world Superbike. Superbike. and what i don't know because like moto america technically is given its blessing by the FIM. Yeah. So I don't know if that trickles into like a Moto America or a BSB or a um, CEV or whatever these other series are, you know, throughout Europe. That wasn't made clear. And it's also not clear what exactly the testing standard is going to be. But they're just basically saying, we're going to do this thing. We're right. going to, because we feel that they're probably starting to see there's bullshit out there. It's a lot of bullshit. It's interesting. So they've got, AGV on board. They've got Shark on board. They've got six D helmets on board. Six D. All the Ds. <laughs> so baby. many Ds. I want all six Ds. <laughs> Where's D? Six D made. Yeah, like properly made. I don't know. They're no, an American. No, no. Where? They're, they're, what com- where, where are an they American be? company. Is it? Yeah. Huh. Why? Well, because it's funny. You're saying they have six D. Six D has just popped up. Like, yeah, all, I, all six Ds have just popped all up. the Ds. All the Ds are there. <laughs> mm, that joke's never gonna get old is it <laughs> oh i heard that they were actually gonna come out with a um a helmet for miners <laughs> 6d miners 60 no oh, you're thinking of miners i'm talking about miners <laughs> like little little helmets like little people that play in the earth <laughs> <laughs> wait wait little people that play in the earth that dig in the earth <laughs> dig in the earth or big people that are that dig in the earth uh, that's like, that's the joke, right? <laughs> uh, that's not true. I made that a, up. A pit, hel- a pit helmet, a pit helmet, right? Six D minor helmet. It'll be. It's a minor entry. <laughs> It'll be a minor entry into the record. Um, I would say they're a minor helmet brand in the industry. 
Yeah. Not minor. No, not a minor brand. Not but a, a minor, minor brand. brand. A minor helmet brand. <laughs> you imagine if it had like a little, <laughs> little coal headlight miner or headlight. Yellow? That'd be good. That'd be a good idea. A minor helmet uh, brand. <laughs> product note. <laughs> LED headlamp. That could be good for actually for enduro riding. Sure. Anyway, I digress. Um, bup, 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 bup. What were we talking about? FIM helmets. So... Yeah, there's a couple things going on. So it, it does seem that their standard, whatever it ends up being, they, they literally said nothing about it, will include some sort of testing of rotational damping, uh, torsion damping of, of the helmet and the head, and also low s- speed or low energy impacts, which is some, that's kind of where the 6D comes in because that's kind of their bread and butter on what they're trying to market at. But interesting to see that they've got kind of like a top racing helmet like AGV. That Shark's really popular in the space right now, too. So you've got like kind of two popular European brands in there. Does and anybody, the Shark, uh, sell in the U.S.? I don't think they do. Uh, I think you can get them. I think, they're, I think yeah. they are imported. But so they're DOT good, or Good luck whatever? finding it. Okay. That would be like Scorpion, Shark. There's a few at Nolan. Yeah. Showy even. I, I would assume Showy's available, but it's tough. Not like it once was. Um, if I said showy, what I meant was now I'm completely forgetting what the name of the helmet. It was Ben Bostrom's helmet back in the day. It's what Dovi. Scorpion? No, it's what Dovi uses. Swami. Swami. Yeah. If I didn't say Swami, I apologize. That's what That's I what meant. That's what you meant. Okay. Yeah. I was like, showy. You can get a showy helmet. Showy's, yeah, ubiquitous as yeah. anything. But Probably yeah. go down to a dealership and find one. So, Omi. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple there's a couple ways of looking at this. I do think it's good, especially with all the different kind of standards that we have throughout the different regions to have kind of a unifying uh, standard. And by making it mandatory for FIM racing, like it's going to force brands to build to that standard. And that could be good. It actually could be in their best interest. If you're building to one standard, then then you kind of cut down on your research costs and your production costs and you're just... It's the same reason why we have 50 state bikes instead of 49 state bikes now. Because manufacturers realized, hey, if we just make all the bikes California spec, yeah, it's cheaper and it's better for their everything and just done, donezo. Sure. Easy. Hit the easy button. Uh, well, the question I'd have then is what would it take to get that helmet or would that be something that we would adopt with legislature in the United States from a law standpoint? Whoa, whoa, Quentin. I mean, slow down, buddy. We're having a hard enough time just getting getting people to wear helmets, you know, yeah. via legal methods and yeah. legislative methods. Like that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but that would be what I'd I'd be curious. Like, how would the FIM then? If we're just looking at it from a racing standpoint, then it might make it more complicated because then you have to meet that. No. But you would assume as soon as you meet FIM. You'd still send the helmet to the DOT. They'd put the sticker on it. And you'd be good. That's the thing. If the FIM standard is stringent, then by meeting the FIM standard, you will hopefully then automatically yeah. meet all the domestic standards. Snell and all that. And then that becomes like kind of like a one standard kind of thing. The other way you can look at it is like the FIM just wants to kind of like get a little taste of the helmet actions. They're yeah. like, hey, it's our party. So you're going to have to get certified, yeah. which means you're going to have to pay us some dollars. So it depends how cynical you want to get about it. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. But I thought it was a really interesting thing to see um, to come from the FIM. And I did appreciate the helmets that you chose to highlight the story, which was that one that has the human head. It's painted like a human head. Yeah, yeah. that's with the ears and whatnot. It, the, the ears are really quite well done. Yeah, it's creepy, but I like it. 
I still can't figure out if that's just a really good piece of Photoshop or if that actually exists. No, well, I think it should. Because the shading's really good. <laughs> someone someone did some work on that. And I say kudos to them. Kudos to them on that. Um, but, but uh, moving along, I want to talk because we got the Tokyo Motor sh- the Tokyo Motor Show coming up about the time that this podcast will drop. Really? It's that soon? Yeah. Yeah. So a month from now. Less than a month from now. <laughs> like like 3.9 weeks. <laughs> Dick bag. <laughs> All right. So make sure before week. you leave that you don't forget your bag of dicks that I got you. You <laughs> is dick there, bag. Is, are there six in there? <laughs> I don't know, but bag. there's no handles. So just good luck with that. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> All right. So so then uh, Tokyo Motor Show, where they're going to debut this these two Yamaha weirdo so things. Yamaha's got some interesting shit coming out. And I don't know how much of it is coming out in Tokyo and how much of it's going to come out in Aikma. But one of the interesting concepts that they're going to debut is what they're calling, and this is the worst name, the Yamaha Motoroid. 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 Like, I've, I've had some Motoroids before. You know, you got the oh, seat that's man. chafing. <laughs> that Brutale, that seat, it's like a brick. <laughs> I had some Motoroids after that. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I was walking funny for a week. Oh, Cat my gosh. Me weird. <laughs> okay, so motor, motoroid. <laughs> uh, I mean, right? Like, there's just some things that just don't yeah. translate well between our cultures. No, for sure. <laughs> but with that said, Forb called a car a probe and had that out there. And there's no excuse. Right? There's just no excuse. Uh, like, like that's your native language. <laughs> Am I Ford bashing again? I'm sorry. <laughs> It's only because Chevy and Dodge just couldn't make the cut for our show. Yeah, right. All right. So the Motoroid, which is a a a, a motorcycle two wheeled thing, just just the sideline. So I had, to, I had to rent a car this past week just to, to do some more car bashing. It was a Hyundai Elantra, I think. Mm-hmm. The worst car ever built. Period. Really? The worst car built. Period. Why? What made just it- a death trap of no visibility like the 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 rear view window is like is like the size of a matchbox can't see anything out of it huh. couldn't get the seat right and they put like the rear view mirror this huge rear view mirror and like where they put me in the seat it just blocks like the entire three quarters of the windshield oh my god i hated that car so much and i drove a thousand miles in it and anyways okay. just had to get that out all right it's the whole thing motoroid still can't say that name without having a pause um, but it, so, so it's like this crazy kind of electric bike concept and you, if you haven't seen it, go on asphalt and rubber and you'll, you'll see a picture of it. But the thing that's interesting about that for me though, is they, they're talking about how they're going to use artificial intelligence to, to make this bike have like a personality. And like, it's one of the few times I've actually seen a brand talk about like artificial intelligence beyond just like throwing out a buzzword. And it was kind of interesting to see, uh, how, Yamaha is going to use this to increase the Kondo. Yeah. So for those that aren't familiar, Kondo is a Japanese word for the simultaneous feelings of deep satisfaction and intense excitement that we experience when we encounter something of exceptional value. That's straight out of the Yamaha press release, by the way. It it is something that they had when I was working for Graves in 2005. They did a presentation before MotoGP, either four, uh, five or six, whichever one was the first year of the MotoGP, where the person came out. I think from what I remember, this was at the Monterey Museum and one, a heavy person from Yamaha came out in Yamaha, Japan, and 
went very deep into condo at that time. And they, I mean, they've been talking about this for a very long time. They want to seize on it. So when I saw that you actually wrote into it, I'm like, oh man, they're on the condo kick. And even at that time, everybody from the race team was all about talking about having a condo and, you know, in a, in a, a very far off part of the world. You know, you say that and you say it's cynical and it's fair because it's kind of like one of those things like, like the English language is devoid of these great it's words. Horrible. Like, like, um, uh, in Korean, there's the word Han, mm. which expresses like, like the, like just heartbreaking sorrow. Uh, Japanese, I think Kondo is a great example. Sure. Um, Schadenfreude. Yeah. Uh, in German and Ger- German's got a lot of great words like that because. Oh, and to, just to explain that it's Schadenfreude is, is the, uh, taking pleasure out of other people's either pain or misery, misery or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I think, uh, in the beginning you're like, oh, that's awful. But then you're like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. I'm a hater. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's called being a hater. <laughs> that, but that's like, that's where the English language loses some of the eloquence. Like shot in front. What a great word. I'm a hater. Haterade. I drank the haterade. Yeah, sure. And then, then it becomes less, uh, profound and say the condo. I guess there is no, and this, this happens in the Japanese language a lot. They have a lot of words that mean very deep things that <laughs> my mom's actually calling me right now. Cause it's the exact moment I was born. Just uh, FYI. I, I, I declined the call for you for the podcast. That's the dedication that dude, I have to this. Really? I'll Don't you feel you should talk to your mom? At the precise moment? No, no, because I'll tell you offline why, but no. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I saw her recently. We're good. Okay. She, bought, she got a new car. She's stoked. Okay. Her house didn't burn down. She's stoked. Yep. All we're, right. all, we're all good. We'll okay. talk later. Okay. Um, so but, condo. But condo, I think, I think condo actually really is a really important word in the motorcycle industry. And, and I can see why like a racing would be like shitty about it. But like, think about all the people that talk about like the character and the personality of their motorcycles and the connection that they have with it. You know, like, oh, I, I have a, I have a Ducati. I have a V twin Quentin because I like the way the V twin works. And I like, sure. I like yeah, the I sound and the rumbles. What you're talking about is condo. Mm-hmm. You're talking about that connection that you have with this inanimate object, this, this personality or this characteristic. Like that's the thing I always find like really funny is kind of how like we anthropomorphize like these vehicles. And like, we just kind of do that as like, I don't know. We do that with a lot of things truthfully, but that None of we, your bikes have names, do they? Well, Hadouken. Got the Hadouken. But that's kind of like that's like, just wordplay. I have Duke the ST2, and I've got the. Um, your, I think it's interesting that your motorcycle is a man. Tell me more about that. Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. I just want to know more about that. Yeah, all right. It's Duke. Does a Duke is is that gender specific? I guess it would be Duke, Duchess. Duke. Yeah, yeah it is Duchess. actually gender specific. Is it? Yeah, Duke. By does. definition. I don't know, but if you just use the name Duke, I had I knew a friend that had a dog named Duke, and it could have been a female, Duke. I mean, you can drive your car if your feet doesn't make it a good idea. You can name your female child Duke. It's just going to be a little awkward for her throughout life. No, possibly for sure. It's not like like the name like Terry or Chris or Pat. The uh, or like it could just it could go either way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the multi is uh, Beso Negro, the Black Kiss. <laughs> Uh, oh, you totally steamrolled me on where I was. Steam, Cleveland steamrolled you. <laughs> my 125 was. No, like when it's my birthday, I don't have to deal with your stupid <laughs> puns today. All right, I get a pass. That wasn't a pun. That was just you know, Ugh. Cleveland steamer joke. 
125 was Bob because it was 808 and it looked like Bob. So the bike had Bob on it and you're like, oh, that's Bob. That's a male male bike. Bob. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Tells me a Based lot on Negro, there's no, there's no gender there. Oh, yeah, there is. No, it would be in Negro. Spanish. Yeah. In Spanish. Right, sure. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, you're tipping your hand, sir. Mm-hmm. This is why my mom thinks we're dating. <laughs> gonna have to break it to her. Uh, meanwhile, uh, condo. <laughs> but it is interesting. So, like, they're talking about using like artificial intelligence to give the motorcycle this personality, and I called it like it's like having a pet motorcycle because it kind of actually sounds like that's what they're doing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, what they're just using is kind of like technology to continue this idea that motorcycles have been doing since like the dawn of time and like you know we already put like personalities and and kind of characters to our our inanimate objects and this is just them kind of like actually doing that in real life like your motorcycle actually will have like a personality and actually will recognize you and you could form some sort of human machine bond i don't know it's an interesting take on like what the future of motorcycling could be then i would wonder like what and what way would it be you walk out to the garage and you get in your car and the bike's over there like, hey, what the fuck's going on? Why aren't yeah. you riding me? I like, listen, long-haired hippie, let's go for a ride. Yeah. It's Bob over here. Right, exactly. Who's your buddy? Who's yeah. your pal? Yeah, does does my bike end up uh, a sarcastic, sardonic being? Or does it end up like, hey, hey, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And then, oh, bye. And then, right, do you, how, do, how does it develop its personality? Well, did, you, did you watch the movie Interstellar? With yeah. McConaughey and all that. Yeah. Like, like the, the AI robots and that. That's how I imagine like my motorcycle would be like just kind of a dick, but fairly helpful. Yeah. But kind of a dick. Well, like, that reminds me of the droid, the most recent droid in the uh, in the last Star Wars. That yeah. awesome droid. It was yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah. Kind of a dick. but Kind of a dick. The, the future robots will be dicks. That's Even C-3PO was a kind of a no, bit of a... C, no, C-3PO was a little bitch <laughs> r2d2 kind of a dick yeah this is true kind of a dick <laughs> yeah helpful <laughs> yeah you had to deal with c3po all the fucking time like yeah. if i had to deal with c3po all the time <laughs> i'd be a little bit of a dick too i'd be like listen golden oh, god here we go get again. out of the way yeah just 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 go get like attacked by jawas and let's call it a day <laughs> oh, god. oh this is why i'm single <laughs> It suddenly just dawned on me. Uh. Anywho, moving along. In that same vein, I want to talk about the Motobot versus, well, Motobot in general is kind of the same idea, but it's Yamaha exploring rider dynamics through robots. Which, which, is, which we had talked about, talked about probably before. a year ago whenever they they, yeah. they showed it working at uh, some the place in Alameda across the bay. From right. They're San at the Fran. naval base. Um, in Alameda and now they've been testing a lot at Thunder Hill so the the group that's working on that is based out of Silicon Valley Um, so what it looks like that's very interesting by the way I think that it's happening there not in Japan oh yeah so this is basically so just in case you're you're new to it they have a a robotic form a humanoid looking form but really it is nothing but a bunch of servos and controls so that a a thing can replicate a human on top of the bike so that it can turn the bike and accelerate the bike and decelerate. The bike. Yeah, uh, to just do like a quick summary on it, there's three big things about Motobot that you need to know. One is a gigantic fuck you to Honda's Asimo robot, which has a really hard time with stairs. Mm-hmm. Google, Google that, Google that yeah. YouTube, enjoy the show. 
Second, it's uh, Yamaha is attempting to scientifically and quantitatively analyze probably the biggest black box in motorcycle racing right now, which is the rider. We measure everything that the bikes do. Engine temperature, coolant temperature, telemetry on the front suspension, rear suspension, IMUs, electronics, all this stuff gets measured, but not the human. And arguably, that's one of the most dynamic things on the motorcycle. So this is their attempt to to do that and look at how the rider interacts with the bike and what the rider can do to make the bike go faster. And three, it has some implications on um, using motorcycles as autonomous vehicles because the whole idea is that Motobot can get onto a stock motorcycle straight off the showroom and go ride it, which is kind of a big deal. So it, it'll be interesting to watch. And apparently... Well, the what? No, I don't know if you explain watch what. Well, that's the thing. So one of the goals of the project is to have Motobot race Valentino Rossi. And it looks like that's already happened because Yamaha is teasing this Motobot versus Rossi thing and seeing, you know, like, come vote and see who do you think is faster. And they're going to release the answer at the Tokyo Motor Show. Hmm. And it looks like they've already raced at Thunder Hill um, within the last couple of months, hmm. which will be interesting to see. And we'll also probably see the next iteration of Motobot. Um, I'd love to have, see how they play it up. Is it race? Like, did they send Motobot out and do a lap? And they send Rossi out and do a lap? And then did they send them out both at the same time? How did that work? That'll be very interesting to see how it goes. It'll be very interesting to see. I have a feeling Rossi's going to be the faster one when they show the results. Sure. But I think it's only a matter of time before Motobot learns and learns and learns and yeah. iterates and iterates and iterates and eventually is unstoppable. And then, and then I, for one, welcome our robotic motorcycle riding overlords. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I, I think it's asinine to think about how it's like. Well, it's like there was a video recently for the what you name the awesome video game that does car shit. I can't remember what it is, but they Gran Turismo, probably something like that. I don't I like how you describe that. You really narrowed it down. For yeah. Me. Right. Well, you did a good job. I did it pretty well. Cause you, I think you got it. So they <clears throat> outfitted a, uh, probably a Nissan GTR, um, uh, with, um, you know, again, solenoids and crap to, to basically make it a remote control car. And they had a racer from England drive the car around and they did a video of it, uh, from a helicopter, uh, driving the car around the track, which was like, I, I guess in my brain, I always thought that that was one of the cool things about a motorcycle is that you never really could, uh, you know, have a, a facsimile of a human ride a bike. Well, now we can. And it just is kind of like, what for, right? To me now, after having seen this the, or thinking about this, the what for would be the way I would use it is, that's not going to race. We're not going to be racing these things because who the hell would want to watch a robot race a robot? Well, maybe some people would. I don't. Um, what I would want to see is rider goes out on bike, complains about bike. I put the bro- robot on the bike and I give the the rider a big F you. You need to harden up. No, that's exactly what it is. It's like it's that way of saying like you can have a robot. This is this is the real value motobot. You can have a robot mimic the different riding styles of all the great riders and come back and say which one's best. For this bike on and at this track in this yeah. condition. And then and then in that same way, you can have it be a feedback loop where it's like I think Jorge Lorenzo is a great example of this where he's going from the Yamaha to the Ducati two bikes that are completely different in terms of how you get the maximum out of them. And he's going from he's the podium having, to 10th place. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, and he's having to do it the human way of changing his style and breaking later or earlier yeah. or doing yeah. something with his body. Whereas like 
you know, if Ducati had this motobot, they could just put it out and go on the laps. Like, okay, Jorge, we noticed you go like this, but to get the most out of the bike, you actually need to go like this. And here is our scientific data that's, yeah. that shows us that's the case. Or a motobot goes out on it. It's set up in a specific way and they can get data on gearing, say, just something as simple as gearing without having any human brain trying to decipher whether it would be best to have a, a, a gearing higher or lower. It goes out and does a bunch of laps depending on the tires and it says, oh, this will be good. This gearing will be, it might not be perfect at the beginning of the race, but it'll be excellent at the end of it or whatever it is, right? Yeah. The, and I think that's an interesting thing as well. But from a development standpoint, fair enough, but not from a, I want to watch people drive these things. No, and I don't think that's the goal. I don't think that's the goal. People kind of got like poopy about like, all those things. And I don't really think that's the goal. I think the goal here is it's it's a scientific thing. It's being able to remove the rider as a variable. Yeah. Or you could look at it as it's an advantage thing. Like now imagine, um, let's say the 2019 season, the 2020 season, Rossi's still racing. I want to get him his 10th championship. Okay, well, we're going to go test. We're going to go build the Yamaha, the perfect Yamaha for Rossi to get him his 10th championship. Okay, well, if you're going to do that now, you go on your rented track and Rossi goes and goes does 50 laps or whatever and you can and you can only have one or two bikes well now you could in theory bring 20 bikes have one rossi and 19 motobots and collectively zoom, 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 they zoom. can put together <laughs> oh, a thousand god. laps oh my god you could explore every iteration of that motorcycle to try and make it better with you know infinitely less time that's interesting that's a competitive advantage hmm. fuck you asimo mm-hmm Kawasaki's teasing its third supercharged motorcycle, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I do. I agree. That's neat. Uh, looks Touring like it'll bike. be sport tour. Yep. I think the big question is how much of an iteration of the H2 it is. Sure. Whether it's just like that chassis, that bike with some different fairings, maybe a bigger screen or something, or if they're going to kind of take it and make it like a a proper sport tour that's kind of lighter and more powerful than the Concourse 14. Uh, there could be there is room in their lineup for something like that, but I'm very intrigued to see what that is. I am so stoked to see uh, forced induction coming to the motorcycle industry in a, in, a, in a more meaningful and bigger yeah. way than it has in the past, I should say. Yeah, I think it's great. I would like to see more of myself. I agree. I saw a couple things, rumors about Honda working on some sort of patent for a turbo or a V-twin. We've seen Suzuki with their turbo kind of recursion concept. It'll be interesting to see where that pops out. I think Formula One, what they've done in the past few years, even though it isn't that great relative to the actual spectacle, the spectacle should be a V12 or a V10, 20,000 RPM engine. That's the spectacle or an audible, if you will. That's the best part of Formula One. It's a little dumbed down with these turbo V6s, but I still think they're rad. But what's really happened is making super, super efficient engines out of those Formula One engines. Like the return of efficiency of the amount of energy they're putting in with fuel, that what they're getting out is unreal. And a lot of it is due to the turbo technology that they're developing right now. And I think that's very neat. And it portends to what we might see in the future for petrol engines before the ultimate demise and, and going to electric. But a lot of these motors or have motors on their motors to control boost with electric motors. So there's a, a balance of uh, regeneration and, and uh, electric drive as well as, as piston engine drive. And I think that's neat. And that might be something you'll see in a hybrid way, a different type of hybrid. 
Yeah. I'm actually really surprised we don't have hybrids in the motorcycle space. And that's actually something that kind of came up in the KTM presentation. I keep teasing this presentation, but you know, they were talking about how hybrids are kind of the bridge to get to this kind of goal of, you know, electric only uh, vehicles by 2040 for some of the, well, 2020, 2030, 2040 yeah. for, you know, different sure. um, nations. It makes sense, but it's complex, man. And it takes room. It takes space. It takes space. And I think knowing what I know of how the Alta is set up and where the battery is placed and where the motor is and where you would have to find the, thinking about that for, a, a, say, a road-going vehicle. Yeah, you could find the space, but it's, it's I would see, I could understand how expensive that would be. That would, I think that's the main thing is it the expense is going to have to come down both right and I think that that uh, over the course it's doable I don't think there's any anything uh, scary about it but I mean this is one of the things that got Moto Sis into it was that was what Adrian wanted to do for the TT Zero race in 2008 or nine or whenever it was was he wanted to make a hybrid he he was all about having a hybrid that was back then you know that was a long time ago one of the last things i talked to michael about was he was working on a design for an electric gas hybrid engine yeah and it was very interesting some of the stuff that he was doing i don't know how much more i can talk about it because i don't know what happened with those designs and if there was sure. patents if they were sold or who has what yeah intellectual and out, property. out of respect for the scissors yeah so i don't i don't know what to say about that other than that you know he was showing me some stuff and his whole thing was like how can we make this compact and work in a motorcycle? How can we make this sure. this thing? Whereas like before, we'd just be like, okay, here's this big block of batteries and electric motor, and here's this big block of you know fuel tank and gasoline engine, and we gotta kind of do the do the things, and it's just big and heavy and weird. Integrating those two designs in a meaningful way was very interesting. So yeah, I'll be kind of curious to see what what happens over the next five ten years in that regard. But until then, like Kawasaki and this supercharger thing, man. I think it's awesome. I love seeing it. I, I want to see a bunch more bikes come out with it. They're spending a lot of money on this technology. It Obviously, it's going to get trickled into multiple designs and multiple machines. It's very nicely done. I got to see one apart that somebody had screwed up. It was at a dealership recently. So a person had worked on the bike, left left a bolt loose in the airbox, which is a an aluminum casting instead of a plastic because it's taking quite a bit of pressure it's hold pressure yeah and the pressure pounds per square inch there's a lot of square inches of an, in an airbox right still has to function as an airbox for when it's not on boost so um bolt had gotten dropped and took out the, the supercharger uh so i got to see all the component parts and i man it is a really neatly designed very well sorted thing right so when when you see something of that and you're like oh that would be fun to work on that's of note for me instead of like ooh i don't want to have to it's not it's not like looking at a vfr 800 and being like oh i don't want to work on that at all or any new ducatis I'm like oh god i don't want to have to tear apart the whole bike to adjust the valves right. this was like oh yeah this comes apart nicely and it looks good and it's tight and it's right it's pretty neat and that was on an H2R, the carbon one. Yeah. Yeah, which is what you're right up your alley. You like yeah. that. Yeah. I want to get one of those for, I think that's the perfect PIR bike. Yeah. And just go out there and be a dick bag. You should ride Chris Herons. He's one of our friends. I think he still has one. He has an H2 at least, but he might have the R. I'm not sure. Should get uh, get friendly with him. He has. He's the one that does the uh, the bitchin' brisket tacos. At yeah. The, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm. Get in on both that actions. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what Kawasaki ends up bringing. Yeah, this will be, be this will be at Milan, yeah, okay, yeah, which is only I just realized that's only a couple weeks away. Yeah, the the 
press days are what day? I gotta fire up the calendar here. Where'd my mouse go? There it is. Code to get it? No. Um, yeah, should be. We should see that like around the sixth or the seventh. You're gonna be a busy person. Are you gonna go or are you gonna? No, I'm gonna be here. Um, but I'll be very busy and very tired. Um, so next story, just really quick. I saw that Bramo, the last remnants of Bramo got sold to Cummins. Um, so that's their electric powertrain division. So they already sold the motorcycle business to Polaris and the leftovers, like they were still kind of a technical partner for Polaris. They're just doing like EV powertrains. Yeah. Finally have sold that on to Cummins, which I thought it was interesting and of note. And it also came in a timely fashion with KTM releasing their new iteration of the free ride EXC Enduro model, which um, I don't know how much you want to talk about, Quentin, but right, it, is, it is kind of shot across the bow to, to Alta, which I thought was interesting. But uh, it's not the same. It's still not the same. It's like still a less, less battery and well, less. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things. So like the negatives, I mean, I can, I think I can do this on my own, acapella, right? Um, the negatives are it's it's a lot less battery. It's even now they're saying they're getting a fifty percent energy boost, but it's still three point nine kilowatt hours. So really small battery pack. Uh, the motor is rated at nine kilowatts, um, which is like twelve horsepower. Peak power is about twenty four horsepower. It's eighteen kilowatts. So at least it's A one licensing uh, compliant, which yeah. is good. But it still feels kind of underpowered. It is making pretty good torque, 42 newton meters or 31 pound feet. So it's 250cc class torque-ish. Those I feel like like on spec sheet is a little tough. The weight is pretty close to what a 250cc dirt bike would be. And and obviously they've they've done the pricing to be very, very competitive. But I learned something today that kind of explains why the pricing is so good. It doesn't come with a battery. Or a charger. Well, huh? Yeah. Wait, well, no, the current one, the one that they're selling right now, that they... The one that's been selling in Europe that they've sold like 3,000 of so far, it seems like it does. And this is where it kind of gets a little murky. But the new model for them now, this next iteration of their dirt bike isn't going to come with a battery. And you're going to end up leasing the battery and the charger from KTM for like 50 euros a month. <laughs> But so are you serious? That's, I'm dead serious. I'm dead fucking serious. But you say 50 euros, so whatever. It, you're saying that's the way they're going to do it in the United States? Well, we don't have a lot of information on the U.S. market because, surprise, surprise, KTM North America hasn't really figured that part out of it. All we know is that it will not be road legal in the United States, and it'll be at, you know, limited quantities in the United States. Huh. But as we've seen from the earlier announcement, it's going to be priced pretty aggressively around like the $8,000 You think dollar mark. In the U.S., yeah. But I don't think it's going to come with a battery. If you can buy the battery, they said, but it's going to cost like 4,000 euros or something like that. Huh. So I think that's kind of... It's an interesting take. And their whole pitch on that is that... Well, so for starters, the new battery pack, the battery pack with 50% more power, is backwards compatible with the previous yeah, battery pack. I saw that. So it seems like what they're trying to do is kind of future-proof the battery technology. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of years from now, it's like, hey, we've got a new iteration of the battery pack. Now it's got 10 kilowatt hours. 
You give us your old battery pack back. We give you the new one. You're still paying us 50 euros a month for it. And now you've got more power or more energy on board. Mm. So that's interesting. It's an interesting thing. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. It's just really weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Sure. I, I, so. I can't imagine. I If that's the way they're deciding to do it, fair enough. I, I can't. Im- I, I'd love to see how it gets implemented. I'll say that. Yeah. I'd like to see how the people. You're already. It's already difficult. I'm sure for them, especially the U.S. side, which is winning Supercross championships with piston engine vehicles, uh, to then deal with these the with the electric side, and there it's it sounds like they're making it more complicated. But if in Europe, that's kind of like a it makes sense. Fair enough, you know what I mean. Maybe there's more reasons for them to do that there, and if they prove that out and flesh that out there, I would be very interested to see how the American market the the show me style people like they ain't just missouri right it's like show me and then you you get the bike here and you show them and they're like what i can't own the battery that's very you know it's it's very interesting it'd be like having a tesla where you don't own the batteries i could see it and if somebody said hey here's you're going to own this tesla for 15 years and you're going to only have to Wait, is that up- a thing that like when you buy a Tesla, you don't own the battery pack? No, but I'm saying I could see oh, that because oh, okay. that's a huge cost of the car, right? right? And that when those early adopters that bought the initial you know, Lotus-based Teslas, when those batteries started to go, which has been within the past 10 years, didn't take long. Um, for that early, the early stuff, they didn't have set up that well. And then would go kaput a little bit earlier, or should I say they would lose their efficiency early on you'd lose their range. Then boom, you're on the hook for $10,000 pack. Right. Well, here's the other interesting part. They're quoting 70%, um, battery energy retention after 700 cycles. So it would seem really low. It's. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised by that, and it makes me wonder what's going on in that battery. They told, they did say they're using Sony, Sony cells, Sony batteries. Yeah, it's really interesting that they're that number one. They're talking about the cells they're using. That they go into that detail, and then they would um, um, that it's only seventy percent after seven hundred, because an Alta is eighty uh, percent after a thousand cycles, and, and, and zero is similar. In I that don't know. Too. That's I'm, a good question. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't, I'd have to double check it, but I'm. That number seems to be kind of like a industry. That's where it's all starting to go. Because then if, you know, again, keeping a cycle so people understand is from full charge to discharge and full charge to each one of those is a cycle. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting launch. There's a couple of interesting things that came out of it, like from a business side too, like just aside from the bike, like first the fact that they're like, wait, we've sold 3000 of these things. You're like, that's a lot of bikes so far for, for not really being in the U.S. market at all with it. Yeah, just selling it in Europe. I think Europe. It's it's just like the North. Well, there's like just like anywhere in the United States, it's gonna catch on because there's places where they can't ride these obnoxious loud bikes, two stroke or four stroke. Yeah, and that was the big thing that they harped on. The thing for me that was the most interesting though was where they're kind of seeing this roadmap coming out. Like, so they're saying already saying in the next year or two, their next they're gonna come out with their next EV bike, and just take a wild guess on what do you think that might be. Uh, the the three ninety road going equivalent. Yeah, you would think so, right? Uh, They're gonna go after the fifty cc market. Hmm. So their whole thing was like, oh, our next bike's gonna be a mini bike. We want kids to grow up on electric. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it makes sense. Well, have you seen? Do you know what Osset is? Yeah, 
Yeah, the little trials yeah, thing. Yeah, and they're big. It's big. Do they sell a lot? Yeah. Oh, wow. See, that I didn't know. Yeah, I, I think it would be worth looking into the numbers of that. But the, the people that I know that sell them are actually some of the dealers that I, were that understand electric, understand it because of that. They're like, oh, yeah, and these are hot. And then you don't have to deal with anything. And the kids ride them, and Bob's your uncle. It's Everyone's good. a winner. Right. Yeah, so it's interesting. So they're looking at the 50cc route. Um is this something that they said in their press release? or this No, stuff no, no. That- this is the presentation that only 30 American journalists got to watch on a live stream because okay. the rest of Europe was there. Got it. <laughs> right. Um, so you can report on this, but this yeah. is stuff that oh, not, it isn't. No one else is really going to have. Yeah. I think my colleague, um, Zach, at Canada Moto Guide might have published something about this. And we have something for our A&O pro, A&R pro readers on, the, on this that is pretty in-depth on the other things besides just the dirt bike that came out yeah. of uh, KTM's presentation. The other one, one of the more interesting concepts that they talked about was they talked a lot about e-bikes, which is a big thing kind of like in mountain bikes. And you're kind of seeing it in road bikes too, where you have oh, like yeah. this battery powered assist feature to, to help sure. you up the hills and stuff. And they're talking about, um, what was the number they threw out? Was it two thirds, two thirds of all bicycle sales right now? Are e-bikes what? Yeah, two thirds. Two thirds. Now I don't know if that's European market, uh, or yeah. international, that's or weird. what. They just that was what they said. So, but in some market, they're selling a shit ton of these things. But for my own kind of like just seeing stuff out there, I've been seeing a lot more. Oh yeah, motor powered, motor yeah. assist powered. We're in a and also we're right in now. in Portland. We're in a town that is you know inundated with bicycles, and they're making it very difficult to drive cars here. Right, straight up and. That's not just complaining, a, a vehicle driver that's complaining. Uh, that's, they are making it more difficult. They're making it more easy to ride bicycles. And because of that, you see a lot of bicycles in Portland. And because of the temperate climate, we don't see that heavy of a winter. We see rain, but we don't see a lot of cold. So it makes sense to try and make a year-round bicycling thing here. So you do see a lot of bizarro types of bicycles. People that use bicycles as like, you know, to, to carry things and, you know, strange, oh. all kinds of strange stuff. Yeah. The one that really gets me is the bike that's like, it's really long. It's got like a long kind of bench on the back yep. and you see like, they'll put like four of their kids on the back uh-huh. of it and you're just like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Sure. That's way better than having a car with metal and airbags. But having electric assist on all that makes perfect sense, you know, yep. and I get it and I would, I would own one, but it's almost to the same level of the. You know, there was the cheating scandal and and Tour de France level bicycling where, you know, it doesn't take much to get one of these battery. I forget what the the number of the battery is, 1680 or 17, 18, 640 or whatever the the normal lithium ion known cell size. It looks like a double A battery. Well, a little bit larger and you just plop them down and if you you could pop them in a frame tube pretty easily. And then you have these teeny little motor just 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 in the freaking crank set of a of a bicycle. And it gives you just that little extra bit of push so that you don't have to use your your, oh, yeah. your if, BTUs or whatever, the watts or whatever it is, right? If it just puts out one kilowatt. Yeah. You know? for, for a certain amount of time, it might help you greatly go a lot further. Or maybe it helps get a little bit at the top end when you're going up for that crushing the pedals, doing the climb, whatever that is. It sounds like a great thing if you wanted, if you just, if you bonk. And your buddies leave you, and I'm I haven't happened. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say, "All right, I'm just going to have to go to electric for a little bit to get back into the draft because I just bonked 
and I can't do it any longer. But if I if I get in the draft, maybe I could recover. And then if you did that, it'd be great. I, I can and I can see that. I can understand that because then a ride would turn from poopy and sullen and on the side of the road, you know, crying with your cliff bar, <laughs> then into okay, I can stay with these guys for a little bit longer or girls for a little bit longer. Um, that would be the way to do it. So if we're seeing that in bicycles and if KTM's trying to get on that, because they already have a lot of this is all about the technology that you're that you're building. Uh, on the the ha- the information that you're gaining to take that electricity out of the batteries to to put it into the batteries. The chargers are just as important as the motors. So the chargers, the batteries themselves, and then the infrastructure around the batteries to get the power to the ground. I could see very clearly why they would want to get into that, and they already have like a bicycle line, don't they? Yeah, that's the thing. So they have um, uh, a partnership with Pexco. And they're Pexco. Like Pexco. You got some huge Pexco. Got some man. Pex, yo. <laughs> Pexco. Pexco. Okay. A Taiwan or Korean or something? No clue. Never heard of it before. Okay. But that was one of the things they were talking about. It's like they kind of, yeah, they already have this kind of bicycle thing. And what they're talking about is how the, the differences between e-bikes as they get more powerful and more robust. And as we start making electric motorcycles, like those Venn diagrams are going to start overlapping mm-hmm. a lot. And so... Especially from a marketing standpoint, right? Yeah. For me, you get a family that's riding on KTM bicycles, and then they want to go off-roading. Dad has a has a a EXC blah blah blah, and mom has a a EXC blah blah blah, and then they put the kid on the fifty cc like electric bike, and then they get accustomed to riding a KTM electric bike. You're building them into the brand from the time they're little. What's the difference between? An e-bike, like a downhill, like a robust downhill e-bike and like a 125 electric dirt bike, you know, an equivalent 125cc electric bike. Like the crossover starts getting really, really narrow. It's definitely, there's definitely more to them, but shoot, uh, they're getting, some of these downhill bikes are getting to like 50 pounds. They're huge. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Major suspension travel. Yeah, right. And so that's actually one of the things they're saying is that, so under the Husqvarna brand, we're going to see a bike you know, electric bike, electric motorcycle hybrid thing come out. Hmm. And that'll be very interesting to see. And it's that idea of we're going to start like the bicycle is going to be the gateway drug. And then maybe you get on this kind of hybrid when you like, you kind of like want to go do something a little bit more. And then hell, oh yeah, I kind of like, let's get one of those dirt bike things now. And we just kind of boiled a frog into the motorcycle industry. Boiled a frog? Yeah. How do you cook a frog? Do you know how to cook a frog? No, but I can imagine it would just slowly get hotter and hotter. Yeah, you start it out in the cold pan, and then you turn the heat on slowly, and it it boils it because they don't have a they they base temperature on the temperature delta. Yeah. So if the temperature if they don't notice if it, the temperature changes slowly, they don't notice that it's getting hotter until they just finally expire from heat. Okay. Kind of a shitty way to go. That's horrible. But you know, yeah. the French figured that out. Mm-hmm. They would. They would. Cowards. <laughs> oh <No>, God. <laughs> You know they fly the French French flag at the end of every race. It's on the it's before the final, before the right. Oh, they do. They they do, don't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah, I get it because it's the white flag. <laughs> You're a funny man, sir. You're a funny man, Lewis. Respect to that, my buddy Lewis. is gonna like that, <laughs> Louis. <laughs> no, I don't know if he's Louis. Louis, <laughs> mon petit papillon. <laughs> What did you just say? <laughs> My little butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
Uh, all right, sir. I think that that just about does us with the KTM news, and we should probably wrap it up because I'm an old man now. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're yawning for sure. We haven't done a listener question in a while, so send us your questions, preferably in audio format, to enthusiasts at asphaltrubber.com. We would probably love to maybe just do a show of questions. That could be fun. Yeah. Um, or at least pick one or two or, you know, see if that takes us into some interesting conversations, but we haven't asked you for a question in a while. So I'm hoping someone will do that. And while you're at it, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, tell a friend, spread the love. This is how we grow the two enthusiast podcast community and be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast at, if it's at the iTunes store, that would be great because, uh, that shit's bananas. They just revamped the whole thing and it's a mess. So we need your help to make sure that Two Enthusiast podcast shows up when people search for it. So ratings, reviews, and our pro, Quentin, that feels like it's just T-balling something up for you. Yeah. Kickstands up. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Mm -hmm. Good talk. We'll see you out there. Later. That's good. I think that, I think fucking Harley's going to have to get woke.